Good morning. How are you? It is good to be with you. Um, I hope that you have had a great Thanksgiving week. Uh, I've had a great time being with my wife, Nola, my daughter, Reagan. Um, we got to kind of take it easy this year. Got to do some honeydews, and I'm pretty sure along the way I created some more honeydews that I'm going to need to end up doing. Uh, but it's been a great week and a great week of rest and relaxation, and uh, I hope that was your week. But maybe it wasn't. You've come to a good place where you can find rest. Jesus offers that to each and every single one of us. You know, I, I hope that if, if you know me, you, you would think of me as somebody who is a thankful person. I hope that that's something that I display regularly in my life. And yet also I realize that in this week of Thanksgiving, there is a greater emphasis and a greater posture on gratitude. And that is why I'm excited today because I want to preach a sermon that I've titled, So Thankful for Grace. I'm so thankful for grace. See, I didn't always know what grace was, and I just thought that Jesus was wanting to know if I was good or if I was bad, and if I was bad, then at the end of life, I was going to migrate south and wasn't going to have a chance to go up north, and so I really wanted to go north. I wanted to go to heaven, and so I just wanted the fire insurance that he offered, and he was offering a pretty good policy, but I didn't really want a Lord. I really didn't want a Savior, and it was because I didn't think I could follow all the rules. The shall thou this and the shall not that and all of those other things in between. And it just really wasn't that attractive to me because it scared me. Because I didn't think I could live up. And it wasn't until I began to understand grace that I began to see God in a completely different way. Instead of a, a, a scowl on his face or a disapproving uh, nod, I saw love in his eyes and a smile on his face. And so that's why this morning I wanna, I wanna teach through what I would say are my favorite 10 consecutive verses in the Bible. Not necessarily my 10 favorite verses, but the 10 that, that run consecutively, these are my favorite because they, they taught me through, through the, the guidance of a mentor of mine, a gentleman by the name of Bill Craftson, but taught me about grace. And not only taught me what grace was, but also showed me what grace isn't. And so I want to share that with you. I hope it blesses you this morning. Truth is, I'm probably preaching this because I need to hear it more than anybody else here. And so I'm thankful to be with you this morning. I'm thankful for everybody that's joining us online as well. You are a part of our family. So y'all ready to dig in? Okay. Romans 3. Verses 19 through 28. I'm going to read through it, stop, interrupt myself, make a point, just some other, all that other fun stuff. But we're going to get through this, and uh, I think you're going to be blessed by it. So starting in verse 19 and 20 in Romans 3. It says, obviously, the law applies to, the, to those to whom it was given. When it says law, think rules. To those to whom it was given, what are the first 10 rules? We call them the 10 commandments. Those were given to Moses when he went up on Mount Sinai, he came down and that's who they were given to. That's who it was intended for, for its purpose, talking about the law, is to keep people from having excuses. I didn't tell you, there's gonna be a little bit of a tough love on the front end of this, but stick with me because I promise you there'll be a turn towards some freedom and some joy. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. 
This last sentence, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. All right, anybody else's wheels already shot off? Like I thought the rules were telling me whether I could or couldn't come, whether I was worthy or not, whether I could even come to church or not, or whether I could pray. Man, I've been doing some bad things. I've been making mistakes or, you know, I've been breaking these rules. The Lord doesn't even want to hear from me. I can't even talk to him. And all of a sudden this is saying, no, 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 that's not what it's about. All it's doing, the law, the rules are just showing you that, yes, you are in fact jacked up just like me. I didn't want you to amen that one, okay? So, but here's the reality. Think of it in these terms. What if you um, are, it's a great spring day, and I like the weather that we've had the past three or four days, but it's like 70 and sunny and, and the wind is blowing, you've got a convertible, it's down, you're driving, you're going 60 miles an hour and you come around the curve and you end up on this, on this country road and you see this speed limit sign of 35. That sign didn't have anything to do with what speed you were traveling, but that sign did educate to you that you are in fact a lawbreaker. You're going 25 miles an hour faster than the law allows. That's what the law does. Galatians 3.19 says it this way. Why then was the law given? It was given alongside the promise, ah, there's some hope, to show people their sins. But the law was designed to last only, it's a short time, only until the coming of the child who was promised. The child that was promised going into Christmas time. I wonder who that might be. God gave his law through angels to Moses, who was the mediator between God and the people. So if the law was intended to show us how sinful we are and we realize that we are, and we're kind of going, I don't even know if I needed help with that, Lord. I'm kind of hard on myself. Then where do we go next? Well, back to Romans 3, verse 21. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him. When you hear right with him, think of righteousness. Think of faultless to stand before the throne. Think you were, you were sinless. Your sins have been removed. Your sins have been paid for. You are holy. You are without fault. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. What's Paul talking about? All right, quick, quick Bible quiz moment. First book of the Bible is? Very nice. The author of that is? Moses. Not only did Moses write the first book, but he wrote the first five books of the Bible. We call it the Torah or the Pentateuch. And those are the five uh, books that he wrote up there. And what it's saying is, is that look, there's been a promise that's been in place since the very beginning. In other words, it's not, man, we've been trying to live under the law and we're getting squished by it and it's not working and we just think that we need to change it and, and, and we're overwhelmed by it, so let's dumb it down, let's start grading on the curve, let's, let's change things. No, they're saying is that it's always been there. And what Paul's doing is he's referencing this scene back in Genesis 15 where, where it's talking about Abram, who God changed his name to Abraham. So Abram, Abraham, same person. And he's telling him that he's gonna enter into a covenant with him. And when you enter into a covenant with someone, each party brings promises, brings obligations to the arrangement. And what they do in order to seal this arrangement is they take animals and they cut them in half and they collect the blood. And then each member in the covenant walks through the blood and says, if I don't hold up my end of the bargain, then this is what you get to do to me. It's a death, it's a blood covenant. It's punishable by death. 
And so God enters into this covenant with Abram and he says, here's the deal. Look up at the sky. As many stars as you can see, your descendants are going to be even more than that. There's going to be a multitude of nations, every tongue, every tribe. They're going to be descendants of yours. This is the promise, this land that I'm going to give you. And Abram, your end of the bargain is you're going to be circumcised. The men in your, in your tribe are going to be circumcised. And you're going to hold up your end by following the rules, by doing all the things that I commanded. And that's when Abram had one of those Scooby-Doo moments where he's like, ruh I'm not going to be able to do this. And it says that a, that, a, that a dread, a heavy dread fell over him, this weariness. And he fell asleep. And in falling asleep, this is the vision that he had. Genesis 15, verses 17 and the first part of 18. After the sun went down and darkness fell, Abram saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day. You see, in Old Testament language, that smoking pot was representative of God. And he walked between the carcasses and he says, if I don't hold up my end of the, end of the bargain, if I don't give you a son, if I don't give you all these descendants, this is what you can do to me. This is what it'll cost me. And then when it came time that it was Abram's time to walk through it, all of a sudden there's this flame, this torch that's going through, also symbolic of the Lord. And God walked through and took Abram's place right then and there and says, if you don't hold up this end of the bargain, then this is what's going to happen to me as well. And it prophesied about Jesus' death that was going to come at the cross. That promise has been in place forever. Since the beginning of the scriptures, since the beginning of God's promises. So we go back to Romans 3, verses 22 and 23. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are, no matter what you've done, no matter how many sins you've committed, no matter how many times you've committed that one sin, no matter what society says about your particular sin, no matter who you are, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Back to my previous point. We all jacked up and God isn't. He's perfect and he's holy. Galatians 3.22 says it this way, but the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. And if you're anything like me, you spent a decent amount of your life trying to do the right things more than you were doing the bad things and hoping that that would weigh in your favor at the end of all of this. And what this is saying is that is not what God has promised you. Another way to put it, if you're trying to earn your way, if you're trying to do works, if you're trying to, to follow the rules, it's kind of like you get in a swimming contest with, we'll say Mother Teresa, yourself, and some serial killer that killed a bunch of people, really bad dude, okay? And the, and the race or the, or the illustration is that you're gonna swim from California all the way to Hawaii. And the amount of distance that you're, gonna, that you're gonna make is indicative of how good you are. Well, the serial killer like trips over a rock and hits his head and doesn't even make it to the water, okay? 
But you get in and you start swimming and, and you had no idea, but you're doing pretty good and you've made it five miles until you peter out. And then you drown and no longer make it. And then Mother Teresa, we didn't know this, but like she's part dolphin, okay? And she swam 20 miles, like four times as far as you made. And you made maybe five times. I don't even know if it's five times. It's just infinitely further than the first guy because he didn't even get into the water. And yet, when you're trying to get from California to Hawaii, that's almost 2,400 miles. It is all incredibly insignificant. And all you've done is tire yourself out to a point of exhaustion that you can't even survive anymore. Does it sound like life at all sometimes? Does it sound like the burden and the weight that you put on yourselves at times? If you're a note taker, write this down for me. Following the rules equates to the exhausting and empty journey to the bondage of failure. And again, when I liked Jesus for the fire insurance policy that I thought he was gonna offer me, but I wanted to live life the way that I thought I could live it, then my morality was more based not on Jesus, but those that were around me. And I almost had that encounter a grizzly bear theology, right? You and a group of your friends encounter a grizzly bear when you're out, hawking, out uh, hiking, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just gotta be faster than the slowest person in the group, right? Well, that's pretty bad theology because somebody's getting mauled. You're looking around and going, I'm better than them and I'm better than her and I'm better than everybody else out there. And if that's not working, then all of a sudden now you start to go on the offense and you start to tear down everybody else that's around you. And maybe you can't elevate yourself, but maybe you can have a higher position by lowering those that are around you. That's not very attractive. People don't want to be a part of that. Or you get to that place where you realize failure is just what's coming. And so you're going to start to turn to, to other things to try to numb it, to try to help you out. You turn to retail therapy and you go, and if I can just buy this and just buy that, then everything's going to be fine. And all of a sudden now you're dying and suffocating by debt that is over your head. You're turning to food and now it starts to become something that's not healthy for you, but something that's not healthy for you. And your, your health starts to deteriorate in all sorts of different ways because you're trying to find comfort there. You're turning to a bottle, you're turning to a pill, you're turning to a powder, you're turning to a, a syringe, anything to just numb the pain and numb the reality that all you are is just a failure. That is not who God says that you are. But when we buy into that, what's birthed out of that is this culture of legalism, which can we be honest for a moment? It's what our heritage is known for in some circles. If you don't do this, you don't do that, and you better do this better, and don't, you know, and so now you're like, oh, so you're doing it right, and then all you're doing is pointing fingers at each other, pointing fingers at the mirror, and there's no life, there's no freedom in that. Thought there was good news coming in this, right? Well, here we come to verse 24. Here's where the turn starts to happen. Back to Romans 3:24. Yet God, yet, such a small word, only three letters, but the impact on it is massive. The difference that it makes in our lives is massive. Yet God freely and graciously declares, freely and graciously, graciously, root word grace, right? Grace means what? Unmerited favor. You're going to get something that you haven't earned that you don't deserve. 
Jordan Rice, one of our church planners up in Harlem, New York, he illustrates grace this way. He says, if you get convicted of a crime and you stand before the judge and when he convicts you and he sentences you to time in prison, that's called justice. You stand before that same judge, convicts you of that same crime, but only sentences you to a tenth of what the time should be, that's called mercy. But you stand before that judge and the same conviction and the same sentence is given to you, but he says you're free to go because somebody else has paid the price and served the time for you. That's called grace. Yet God freely and graciously, freely, if it's free to you, what's it gonna cost you? Nothing, nothing at all. It's free to you, somebody else paid. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. Ephesians 2, 8 says it this way. God saved you by his grace when you believed. Not when you swam to Hawaii, but when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Somebody gives you a gift. Again, there's no cost to you. And yet sometimes in our culture, we get confused when things are free, when they're gifts, they get devalued for some reason and we tend to think that they're cheap. Let me illustrate that they're not. So Rick actually recently asked me, he said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? I'm like, all right, I'll take a shot. So I sent him this picture, okay? (laughs) That's how he responded when I sent it to him, all right? I don't even know why I sent it to him. He's never even bought me lunch, okay? So I know he's not gonna buy me that car. But that's a brand new Corvette probably comes with an MSRP of over hundred grand. If somebody gave that to me, that's not a cheap car. It's just free. It's just a gift. And if it's a gift, guess what doesn't show up in 30 days? There's not a car payment. I don't have to make payments on it because somebody gave it to me. It was free. It was grace. No payments. I might need to find another sugar daddy to cover the insurance on it, all right? But that's all right. That is what God has done for us with Jesus. Back to the first part of Romans 3, verse 25. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. What's he talking about? He's talking about all our Old Testament heroes. He's talking about Abraham. He's talking about Moses, David, Daniel, Esther, Bathsheba. He's talking about all those folks. So so why is it that they're, if they died before Jesus, why aren't they they out of luck? Think of it in banking terms. Let's, uh, we'll use round numbers to to, to make it easier. But let's say that you borrowed a million dollars, okay? And you negotiated some terms that through the first 10 years, all you had to do was make interest payments. The interest rate was 10%. You borrowed a million dollars, one year goes by, interest payments due, how much is due? $100,000, right? Another year goes by, $100,000. Keeps going, keep, 10 years go by. How much money have you paid? A million bucks, right? How much do you owe? A million bucks. That's just jacked up. You paid a million, but you still owe a million. And all you were paying for along the way was the right 
to be able to borrow the money in the beginning, but you still owe the same because nothing has taken care of the principle of what that loan was. Sometimes we got a principle problem. But God says, I got a payment for that. 1 John 4.10, this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He sent Jesus into that bank to pay off that million dollar principle that we owed. Romans 3, 25 through 26. Remember it said that he held back? For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness when it's present time, not 2022, but 33 AD when Jesus was, was sacrificed. For he himself is fair and just, and he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus, not when they figured out all the rules and have learned how to follow them. Hebrews drives this home in chapter 10 and verse one, and then we'll jump to eight through 10. It says this, it says, the old system under the law of Moses was only a shadow. It was only a shadow, a dim preview of the good things to come. Remember, they're on a sacrificial system. They're screwing up and making mistakes and they're bringing all these offerings to God. They're making all their interest payments. A dim preview of the good things to come, not the good things themselves. The sacrifices under that system were repeated again and again, year after year. Their interest was being paid for repetitively, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship because they had a principal problem. Then Jesus says this first, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or burnt offerings or other offerings for sin, nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Here's the law and it's showing that it doesn't fulfill and make us clean. Then he said, Jesus talking, look, I have come to do your will. He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. We talk about God as the God of was, he's the God of is, and he is the God of yet to come. Same thing when it comes to our sins. All the sins in your past, all the sins that you're committing, and all the sins that you hadn't even committed yet. They were paid for because of that covenant that he made back in the beginning and said, when you don't hold up your end of the bargain, then I will pay that price and all of it will be wiped away. Back to Romans three. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It's not based on following the rules. It is based on faith. Ephesians 2.9 doubles down. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. If we're gonna boast, folks, we should be boasting in Jesus. We should be boasting in the Lord because if you've been listening and you've been paying attention and you've been listening to those verbs and who's been doing all the work, God's been doing it all. God's the one who makes us right. God's the one who frees us. God's the one who presents Jesus. Jesus is the one who sacrifices. Jesus is the one who sheds. God did this to demonstrate his fairness and his just. He's the one who makes sinners right. 
And so there is no boasting for us to do in what it is that we are unable to do. And it wraps up with this, Romans 3, 28. The last verse of the 10. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So if it's faith that saves us, faith that makes us right with him, then you should write this down. Believing in Jesus equates to the restorative way to life-giving freedom. It's when life comes out of death. Because it's all been paid for. Jesus said it is finished when he was up on the cross. This is what he is offering to you. No longer living a life where you're looking over your shoulder and wondering if your dad is mad or angry or how it is that he's about to scold you or, or um, discipline you, but rather you see him in front of you because all the work has been done and you keep continually running towards him with his eyes wide open and a smile on his face because this is what he asked of you. Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I love how John 1.12 also puts it. And I love when I, when I have a chance to talk to somebody who's exploring who Jesus is and they're wanting to make a decision for him. This is a verse that I said kind of has handles on it. It's what you can hold on to. But it says this, it says, but to all who believed him, him being Jesus, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Yes, we can celebrate that. So if you're hearing all this and you're hearing about believing and all, in, in all these things and the question that's coming up is going, so do I, the law doesn't matter? I don't have to follow the rules? I'm glad you're asking that question because that would be an indicator to me that maybe I'm teaching it well. But this chapter ends with the following verse, Romans 3, verse 31. Well then, if we emphasize faith, does this mean that we can forget about the law? Of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. If the law shows us that we're sinners and that we need help, then that's the fulfillment of what the law was trying to do when we turn to Jesus. And here's the thing. Each and every person that I'm looking at today, everybody that's joining us online, you all were made in the image of God. It doesn't mean you just look like him, but it also means that you're made in the likeness of God. It means that you have the characteristics of God within you as well. And when we understand grace and we start to live from grace, it changes us. And I don't think it turns us into mass murderers. Let me give you an illustration. Let's say that you, uh, you are currently unemployed and you need a job and yet you're still living and you're racking up bills and your debt is getting high and you're stressed out and you finally find something on Indeed that you think is worthy and you go and you believe that it is a real opportunity to go to interview. The interview goes really well. You really like the person that's interviewing you. You really like the company. They talk about the benefits and all these other things. And you're like, man, this is almost too good to be true. And then at the end, they offer you the job and you accept it. 
What did you just become? An employee. You walked into that unemployed and you went home employed. You believed it was real. You accepted it when they offered it to you and you became something new. A week later, you start the job. Two weeks after that, bills are still stacking up, still a high level of stress, but you're getting your first paycheck because they pay every two weeks. You get that check and you, you open it up because you know you need it and you look in it and all of a sudden your hands start shaking a little bit and you start to sweat a little bit and you're going, because they, they, they made a mistake. You thought you had it figured out how much they were going to pay you. But they paid you down to the penny exactly $10,000 more than you thought they were. And for a split second, you're like, man, I need that money. But you're like, no, 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 no. I love this place. I love what they're doing. You go to your boss. You're like, hey, everything's going great. I love my teammates. I love the culture. I love our product. I love what we're doing. This is an awesome place to work. But I've got some bills that have stacked up and I'm in a hard place. Can you help me out? Because you guys made a mistake on my paycheck. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. What, what did we do? Well, you overpaid me by 10 grand. Oh. I guess we didn't tell you in the, in the interview process or in the hiring process that, that part of this job is it comes with a $10,000 signing bonus. That money's yours. That's all yours. Can I ask you a question? Are you going to be late to work the next day? Are you going to be playing Candy Crush on your computer when somebody is not looking or flipping through your social, your Insta, your Facebook, whatever it is? What kind of employee do you want to be? You want to be a great employee. Why? Because they showed you how valuable you are, how much you matter to them. They invested in you simply because you believed and you accepted. And then you start going, man, if I got 10 G's just for showing up, what other benefits are available at this place? And you start learning about different things that they do and healthcare and profit shares and all these different things that are coming your way. Do you want to see that company be successful? Do you want to see it grow? Do you want to talk to your family members and your friends and go, hey, if you need a job, you need to come check this place out because it's incredible. And we need your help because we want to get more of the market share. Here's the crazy thing, Hills family. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of your sins, past, present, and future, and He proved He is who He's always said that He is by stepping out of that tomb three days later, and you accept the gift of grace that He is offering you, and He offers it to everyone, when you believe that and you accept that, you become a child of God. And it comes with the greatest signing bonus ever. It's called eternity. You're in a secure relationship with him forever and you will spend eternity in heaven. But that's not the fullness of what it is that he offers. Because he also offers his spirit, his Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you. And there's gifts that come with the Spirit. It might be a gift of prophecy. It might be a gift of word of knowledge. It might be a gift of wisdom, a gift of encouragement, a, a gift of leadership, a gift of tongue. There's all sorts of gifts that our Father gives, all intended for His glory and for your good. 
And if that's true, and I'm here to say that it is, then I also proclaim that freedom costs too much to keep it to ourselves. Because we wanna see this family grow. We wanna see his kingdom grow. We wanna see less of what it is that the enemy's doing. Take you about two seconds to look anywhere else on TV, social, anything and go, man, the world needs help. That's what he's invited us to be a part of. But it starts with you knowing that that help is for you and living from that truth, living from that assurance. That's why when Jesus was leaving his disciples, he said, all power, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go. Making disciples of all the nations, nations that I send to you and nations that I bring to you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teach them all of the commands that I've taught you. Teach them how to obey them. And remember this. I'm with you always. Even to the end of the age. Hill's family. One of the costliest things to the pandemic to this church outside of some of the lives of our members is our impact on our neighbors and our places of work for the proclamation of the gospel. And it's time we get back to not only showing Jesus and how it is that we live each and every day, but also inviting people to know that they can step into a relationship with him as well. Bow your heads with me, please. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Oh, Lord, we love you. You were so good to us. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Just like we sung earlier, Lord, we surrender all to you. We confess that we cannot earn our way to you. It is not about how well we can follow the rules. But as being honest with ourselves and recognizing that because we can't, we need a savior and his name is Jesus. And we are so thankful, Lord, that you sent him, that you demonstrate your love for us in this, that you sent Jesus to die for us even while we were still sinning, even when we weren't able to follow the rules. And Lord, I believe that if we're a family that lives from that truth, that demonstrates that love, that demonstrates the unity that comes from that love, that there is a world that will take notice and that revival will break out because that is your heart and that is what you want. And may we all recognize that revival starts with us and it starts with us living from the freedom that Jesus offers and recognizing that when the enemy comes and tries to lie about our identity and lie about our secure placement in your family, that we can speak against it in the powerful name of Jesus and greater who lives in us than who is in the world, Lord. May we be a people, may we be a family. Hmm. That when people encounter us, they actually don't see us, but they see you. Please, Lord. We love you. And we pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.